0: Listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Mark Kirkendall. We're so glad you've joined us today. And as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, bethelbible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday service now. So let's go to the Bible. Uh, Matthew this week. We've been in Luke. Uh, no, I'm sorry. We've been in Matthew. Go to Luke chapter 15. We're in a series called Jesus Stories, and it's a series through several parables that Jesus told that we actually have recorded, and parables are these simple word pictures, but they have profound, uh, illustrating uh, profound spiritual lessons, so simple word pictures that illustrate profound spiritual lessons, but today, uh, Luke 15 is probably the most familiar parable that we have. I would even venture to say everyone here has probably heard uh, this parable. What I love about this parable, I've been excited to preach it for several weeks, is because I see myself in so many ways in this parable. Even if you're not a regular Bible reader, you've heard this parable probably. In fact, Charles Dickens said that it was the finest short story ever written. And it's the parable of the prodigal son. Prodigal means lavish, and if you are familiar with that story, uh, you know that's why it's called that. This son lives this lavish lifestyle, but because it's so familiar, I think we can often kind of maybe begin to kind of check out, so don't do that either. Um, in fact, pray that God will reveal something new uh, to you this morning because this story's got everything. It's got intrigue, it's got relationships being manipulated for personal gain, strife between siblings, rejected love, restoration, envy, jealousy, anger, forgiveness. It's got it all. So let's go to Luke chapter 15. As you're finding yourself there, I want to pose a question for you. Have you ever had your perspective? of someone just totally changed. It can be something good, or it could even be to something worse. But we have this this perspective or this kind of thought about someone. Then something happens, and you realize, wow, they weren't who I thought they were at all. So maybe you've had a friend or somebody you confided in. I mean, you thought this was someone you could trust, All of a sudden, maybe they share that information that you didn't want them to. Or maybe they even use it to hurt you. And, man, what you thought was something great about someone, it gets totally changed to the negative. Or maybe you had the thought of someone. Maybe you thought, oh, that person is just not very caring because the way they were acting. Or maybe, man, that person just seems so selfish. And then something happens, and you realize, wow, there is so much more to this person then I realized. And your perspective of them just totally changes. But have you ever had your perspective of God radically changed? Maybe something happened and it turned out really great for you. Maybe you needed God to move and you've seen him really come through for you. And you realize, wow, man, God is much more faithful than I realized. Or maybe it's to the negative. Adam's sharing about that family today, I mean, how tragic uh, for an 18-year-old son to begin thinking, how am I going to plan a funeral for both of my parents? you go, man, that's got to be hard because that could so change your perspective of how can God be love, and this really happened in my life. Well, this is why the parable of the prodigal or the lavish son is so valuable for us today. This parable is found only in Luke. It is in this series of these lost parables. The lost coin, the lost sheep, and now we have the prodigal or the lavish son. So before we get to verse 11 that we'll actually look at, I want you to see why this is so important with the background. You're there in chapter 15. Look at verses 1 and 2. Because this parable is meant to totally transform the the hearer's kind of view of who God is. It's meant to change their perspective because here's here's where it's laid out in verse 1. Now, the tax collectors and the sinners, one group of people, they were drawing near to him, speaking of Jesus. But the other group, the Pharisees and the scribes, they grumbled, they complained, saying, this man Jesus, he's receiving sinners And he eats with them. So we have these two groups. You've got sinners and tax collectors. That's not necessarily you. And we've got this idea of, of Pharisees. And these groups are competing. And here in the middle stands Jesus. So Pharisees and scribes, they're very upset because this man Jesus is receiving sinners and he's eating with them. Now they've probably heard all of this before. But we get to it in Jesus, he's hanging out with sinners. But this word receive, Luke uses it six times throughout his gospel. And it's got this idea of Jesus not just sitting here kind of receiving people, but it's an active way of earnestly waiting. It's not just sitting there hoping something is going to happen, meaning he has his eye out for them. And he's spending time, he is hanging out with Sinners, But it's not passive. He's actively seeking these people. And it says he's eating with them. To eat with someone was basically to associate yourself with them. It was to identify as being a part of that group if you broke bread with them. In fact, one of the reasons the Pharisees are having such a hard time believing Jesus is, is actually God, that Jesus is a son of God, is this, is that he's not acting the way God would act in their mind. In their mind, if God was to come to earth, he would not be receiving and accepting and eating with people that aren't following his laws. God would come to the people that are being obedient to the laws, that are trying to live faithfully to God. That's who God is would come and spend time with. They would come and spend time with people that are as, just as passionate about Him as He is about them. So God's not acting the way that they believe God would or that He should. But this parable is meant to transform their view of who God is and, and what He is like. So now we have the parable in verse 11. And so He said to them, Jesus, that there was a man who had two sons. And the younger son said to his father, Father, give me my share of the property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Now remember, we want to hear this. We need to hear this this morning from a little bit different perspective. I want us to hear it, if, if at all possible, how the people that are standing around Jesus, how would they have heard this parable? Because when they heard this younger son ask, hey, Dad, hey, can I have my share of the property? I believe you would have heard an audible gasp at what he was asking for two reasons. One, in asking for his share, according to Jewish custom, if you were the oldest, I'd be thankful for this, you would get two-thirds of your father's wealth. The younger son gets one-third. But this doesn't happen until the father's death or until the father is too old to manage his estate. So on one level, the younger son is kind of coming to his father saying something like this. I want what is coming to me. And I don't have time to sit around and wait for you to get too old or to die. And in fact, some commentators say it's almost as if the younger son is saying, Father, you're as good as dead To me, or I wish you were dead, give me what is mine. But there's another reason why this would have been so appalling to the original audience. He asked for his share of the property. And I think oftentimes we think, well, the father just maybe goes and writes a check or, you know, goes to the safe and gets out his share of the property and divides up the money and it gives it to him. But it would not be like that at all when it says property. It's mainly talking about land. And so this has so much more meaning to the original audience because land was everything. Land was your security, your status. It was your wealth. It's what you built your whole life upon. So when this younger son comes and asks for his share of the property, it's like he is asking his father to tear his life apart. So when the original audience heard this, they would have been appalled at the nerve of the younger son to even ask this. The law said that you were to respect your parents. You were to honor them. And this would have been a huge disrespect toward his father. And these Pharisees and Sadducees, when they would see dishonor and disrespect like this, the thing that would have triggered in their mind would have been Deuteronomy chapter 21. That said, according to the law, any child that was disrespectful or dishonoring, you know what you would do? You would bring them before the elders, and they would stone them. Talk about parent discipline. But this is what they would have been thinking. They would have been hearing this story of utter disrespect. And then they would have started picking up some stones. But what happens next is even more shocking. The father grants the younger son's request. mean, the father is totally disrespected, totally dishonored, and he gives the son exactly what he wants. This would have totally shocked the Pharisees and Sadducees. But remember, this parable is meant to transform their view of who God is and how he acts. Because look at verse 13. Not many days later, and it really means some time later, the younger son gathered all that he had, and he took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered, or he wasted, his property on reckless living. So it takes some time for him to convert all the property. His cattle, his one-third of the sheep, the goats, In the land, it took him a while to liquidate a third of his father's entire uh, wealth. But can you imagine how heartbreaking it must have been for that father? To day after day, watching all that he had spent his time and his sweat and tears and sacrifice, having to watch people come and buy. Dividing up those herds and watching people walk up that road and paying and that land being divided, it had to be completely disheartening for that father to watch all that he had built, knowing one day, son, this will be yours, and watching it being ripped apart. But you know what? He lets the son do exactly what his son wants. What his son wants, what he is after, the father creates it. Look at verse 14. And when he had spent everything, so the father gave him exactly what he asked for. He spends it on reckless living, anything his heart wanted, and he spent everything. But then a severe famine across in that country, arose in that country. And he then began to be in need. And so he went and he hired himself out to one of the citizens of the country. And when he sent uh, him into the fields to feed pigs, and he was longing to feed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. So, what a total change of reality. He's got all this money, and what does money do? Money will buy you anything you want, it'll even buy you friends, it'll buy you anything your heart desires. But he spends everything. In fact, it says everything on reckless living. He spent the money on whatever he wanted. Whatever he wanted to do, he created that scenario. And the younger son is in charge. He's getting to do what he wants to do, but trouble was just around the corner. It says once everything was gone, this famine arose. Hopefully you feel God moving in this young man's life. This is hard for us to imagine because imagining no jobs, no way to make money, no food to spend the money that you might have on. And the son finds himself in complete desperate need. So he does. The only thing he can think of, he hires himself out as a feeder of pigs. But once again, the original audience would have heard this and just been flabbergasted at what had happened. Jesus had their attention. Because here was this very wealthy or one-time wealthy Jew. This Jew grew up with many, many servants. His father was extremely wealthy. But now it says he's one of the servants. But not just any servant. Note there it says hired hand. You see, there was this hierarchy of servants. First was a bondservant. If you've ever seen Downton Abbey, you know, it's that group of people that live with the family. It's, they're treated as family. In fact, a lot of times a bond servant would even eat with the family. It's almost like they were part of that family. In fact, when Abraham says, you know, I'm going to leave him. I don't have a son. I'll, I'll leave it to him. That's what he's thinking of. But then below that, you would be a servant or a worker, a bond servant would then hire you. But then the lowest of the servants was a hired hand or a hired worker, meaning it was a day laborer. You would go from place to place the lowest of servants. And now this son is a hired hand. But it gets worse. This once well-to-do Jew is now the servant, not of another Jew. He's in a faraway land, so he's a servant of a Gentile. So Jews were seen as the upper class It would never be a servant of a Gentile. But it gets worse. This once well-to-do Jew was not only a hired worker, not only the hired worker of a Gentile, he's a hired worker of a Gentile that is feeding swine. So once again, the thing to the original audience, a Jew was never to touch or to even eat, much less be around an unclean animal. So once again, these Pharisees and scribes, this would have been appalling to them. A Jew would never eat, never touch an unclean animal, but this once well-to-do Jew was now wishing that he could even eat the pods, the the little bean-like plant that they feed to fatten up pigs. But I believe back in the mind of these Pharisees and these scribes, they're probably wanting Jesus to stand up and go, you know what? This is exactly why you should not disrespect your parents. You've done this. This is what you deserve. You went and asked for this. You've dishonored your father. You've squandered all that he's worked for. You're getting exactly what you deserve. Because this is what happens when you just go and live like you want to do. But if you would follow all of our laws... If you would do as we do, then God would bless you. But Jesus continues with the story in verse 17. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and I will go to my father. And I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. So it says he came to himself, meaning he comes to his senses. He realizes his error. But he begins reminiscing about all the things at home. You know, it's like every teenager. We've all done this, right? Where you're at home and you imagine, oh, I can't wait till I get to be on my own. No one to tell me what to do. I get to step as late as I want. I get to go where I want to do. I get to do anything I want to do. I'm my own boss. Well, about 48 hours of that, and then they find themselves sitting in the room. They're lonely. They're hungry. And what are they doing? They're reminiscing, and they're thinking back, man, wouldn't it be great just to sit around that family table again? Man, I wish that my mom or dad were here just to tell me again, you know what, hey, clean up your room. I would take that. So he begins reminiscing. He begins imagining what it was like back then. But he comes up with a plan. He says, I know what I'll do. I have nothing else. I'll go back home. I'll ask my father. I'll get on my knees, and I'll beg him to take me back. But not as his son. I couldn't ask that. I'll ask him to take me back as one of his lowest of servants. a hired hand, a day laborer. And you know what I'll do? I'll try to work my way back in his graces. Man, I'm going to do everything right. I'm, I'm going to live that life that I know I should have lived. I'm going to get everything in order, and I'm going to make him prouder. You know what? I'm going to work so hard. I'll repay him back, even if it takes me a lifetime. I want to earn his respect again. I want to be back in his graces. So he thinks he'll go, and basically thinks, you know what? I'll make things right. But notice what happens in verse 20. So he arose, and he came to his father, meaning he sits out for home. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him, and he kissed him. So as he's walking home full of shame, full of regret, full of sorrow, the father sees him. And watching his father, this well-to-do Jew, every single day watching would that silhouette appear down the road. But remember, the original audience, we have to kind of hear it from their ears. And a wealthy Jewish man and a father, especially of this man's stature, would always carry himself with dignity, would always carry himself in a certain way with class. And one thing that you would never see a man of his stature do is run. Because he'd have to grab that robe and tie it up and run. Running was for children. But when this father sees his son, he doesn't care what anyone thinks, and he takes off in a dead sprint. He comes to his son. It says he falls on his neck, meaning he wraps his arms around him and it says he kisses him. And the Greek tense of these words mean it isn't something he does and then backs off. It means he does it over and over and over again. It's that scene where that family member, that mom or that dad sees that, that son or that daughter they haven't seen in a long way and they wrap their arms around, them. they almost can't stand it, they push him away to look them in the eyes again and they can't stand it and they wrap them up again. Over and over and over again, that father is falling on his son, kissing him and hugging him. And I love this next part. This is my favorite. So the son begins to lay out his plan. But notice what happens in verse 21. And the son said to his father, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. So he begins to say, listen, Father, I'm sorry. I've realized my error, my plan. Listen to what I'm going to do. I'm going to come back, ask you to take me back as a hired hand. I want to try to work as hard as I can to get back into your graces. Let me earn your trust and respect again. Let me get my life back together. But the Father, he interrupts him. He does not care about the Son's plans. He's not looking for the son to get his life together or to pay him back or to even earn his trust. Because look at what happens in verse 22. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fatted calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead, is alive again. He was lost and he is found. And they began to. To celebrate. So the father interrupts him and he orders a feast. But not just any feast. This was the feast of the fatted calf. This would have been the father's most prized possession. This calf would have probably been the most valuable thing other than land that he owned. And it would have been too valuable for just a private party. This would have been when the entire town and village would have been invited, it would have been raised. For the father to throw the biggest celebration of his life. Maybe his retirement. Who knows. But he takes the robe. This robe would have been kept for royalty when they visited. And he threw it on his son. Put the signet ring. A symbol of being his son. Sandals on his feet. Meaning a sign of luxury. Of ultimate care. But notice. His son shows up. Completely filthy and covered in rags. And the father doesn't wait for his son to go and clean himself up. The father completely restores his son right then and there to even a greater status than before. Because remember, Jesus is trying to change their view of who God is and how he acts. So the story continues. Because not everyone's excited. Look at verse 25. Now, the older son was in the field, and when he came to draw near to the house, he could hear music and dancing. And he called one of the servants, and he asked, well, what do these things mean? What do the, these things meant?" And he said to him, your brother, he has come home, and the father has killed the fatted calf, because he has received him back safe and sound. So the other son is working the field. He hears this celebration. He calls one of the servants and says, what's going on? He says, listen, your brother, your long lost brother has come home and your father is calling for everyone to celebrate. But notice this son's response in verse 28. But he was angry and he refused to go in. That word angry, something meaning this, that it was always there, just waiting to erupt like a volcano. And the moment is there, and the son can't hold it in any longer. But notice that just like the other son disrespected his father, this older son is doing the same thing by refusing to go in. He's standing at the door, arms crossed, and saying, No, I will not go in. A total disrespect to his father. But notice what the father does at the end of verse 28. His father came out and entreated him. So the father comes out to the son. Just as he ran down the road and came to the younger son, the father comes out to the son, not waiting for the son to come in. And the father moves toward him and entreats him, meaning he begs, he pleads, he yearns for the son to come in and celebrate. But notice the disrespect in verse 29. But he answered his father, look. Meaning, listen here, old man. Total disrespect. But then he begins to plead his case. Notice the difference. He says, for these many years, I've served you. I never disobeyed your command. Yet, you never gave me even a young goat. That I might celebrate with my friends. A total exaggeration. But when this son of yours, notice he doesn't call him his brother. This son of yours, who devoured your property with prostitutes. We're not even told that's what happened. But notice how he blows the sin even greater. You killed the fatted calf for him. He's saying, listen, I served you faithfully. I never disobeyed. I've done all that you've ever asked. He disowns his brother. But here's the problem. The problem is his relationship with his father is only based on his performance and his obedience. And when you have a relationship with anyone, especially God, and it's based on your performance and your obedience, it only leads to entitlement and disappointment. Because here's the son, he's saying, listen, I'm the good one. I'm the one all the daughters want to marry. I'm the one that's never complained. I'm the hard worker. I'm not like the younger son that disrespected you and wasted your wealth. I'm the son that everyone wants to be like. In fact, he's saying, Father, I don't need your forgiveness. You need mine. He's serving the Father out of desire for reward, not love. And this was exactly what the original audience, the Pharisees and the scribes, were doing. Their acceptance and their relationship with God was based on their performance. But instead of rebuking them, Jesus is trying to change their view. He wants to win them over to a different perspective. So the older son, he's now standing face to face with his father, anger boiling over, fist. Clenched, mouth twitching with uncontrollable anger. And the father looks deeply into his eyes. And look at what the father says in verse 31. And he said to him, son, meaning my child, you're always with me. And that, what is all that is mine, is yours. It's fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. So out of being totally disrespected, after realizing this son was serving him only out of what he could get out of it, he's now feeling like the father owes him. The father says, son, or my child. It's a show of total love. He says, you've always been with me. Everything that you see, everything that you touch, it's really all yours. Because listen, the the older son had nothing to lose with the younger son returning. He was still going to get two-thirds of everything the father had. The younger son had wasted all his. Nothing changes for the older son. But he just can't stand it. You know, so there are many things. There are so many thoughts that we could take away from this morning. One. You know, there are different ways to run from God. You can run from God by following your own ways, your own sinful heart like the younger son. But you can also run from God by the sins of your attitude like the older son. Another thing I see is that running from God, man, it might feel free at first, but it always ends in bondage. Man, that younger son just wanted to go and do what he wanted to do. He wanted to live for himself, no one telling him what to do. What he thought was free, he found himself attached to something else famine, loneliness, slinging of pig food. The older son thought he was free, but he found himself in bondage to pride. Both these sons tried to kill the possibility of grace by their attitudes. But when God, this idea of entitlement, Because they both live this. You owe me, Father. I'm going to go waste it. You owe me. Why are you helping him out? But when you think God owes you, you'll begin to think that God is a stingy God. But I remember, I wanted to see this from the original eyes of the original hearers. So the purpose of this parable is to change their view of who God is. So what we are meant to see this morning in Luke 15 is the tragedy of rejected love. But the loving response of the Father. See, both sons, both sons rejected the love of the Father. One rejected it by open rebellion outwardly. Everyone could see it. But one rejected it by much more quiet or inward rebellion. But the Father wanted to restore them both. The father went out to see both sons. He does not wait for the younger son to get his life together, to get himself cleaned up, or allow him to make things right. He runs out and he throws his arms around him and restores him right then and there. When the older son refuses to come in, the father steps out towards him. When he hears the anger and the pride that his son had been holding on for all these years, He looks at him and he says, my dear child, and reminds him of the blessings that he has. See, this was the view Jesus wants the hearers to have, a God who meets you right where you are, whether you're in open rebellion, making a mess of your life like the sinners and the tax collectors, or whether you might look good on the outside because of your performance. There's this inner rebellion The Father is there to accept, restore, and to forgive. So what we see this morning is such a powerful story. And why I love this so much is because I see so much of myself in it. Because so much of my life, it seemed like I wanted nothing to do with the Lord. But I'm realizing that He wanted everything to do with me. But the tragedy is that so many people are still wandering in this far-off land, afraid to come home. But God is like this father. When he sees you in the distance, he runs toward you. He doesn't make you go over all the details of your lostness and your wastefulness, but he welcomes you into his family, and he forgives you. So no matter how prodigal or lavish someone is in their rebellion, you know what? The thing we see is that God is always more prodigal or lavish in his forgiveness. And so this morning I would say, do you know the loving, accepting forgiveness of the Father? Maybe you feel like you've made a total mess of your life and you just feel like, listen, I'm beyond hope. The Father is saying, run back. Maybe you have experienced it. Maybe you know the Father's experience of love and forgiveness and acceptance. Man, then look for ways to share that with others. Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We hope that you were blessed and encouraged. And if you have any questions or comments, we want you to let us know. Simply send your thoughts to questions at Bethelbible.com. Thanks for spending time with us, and be sure to join us next week on the Bethel Bible Podcast.